Hi, this is Leo Laporte. We have a great guest for you this week on Triangulation. Ed Niedermeyer is an auto writer, a podcaster. He covers cars, and he's just published a new book all about Tesla from the beginning to now. What a story. Ludicrous coming up next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Triangulation, episode 409, recorded Friday, August 9th, 2019. Ludicrous, the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors. It's time for Triangulation. That's the show where we get together with some of the most interesting people in technology. Spend an hour really getting to know their story. Uh, of course, Triangulation is multi-hosted uh, by uh, our hosts at Twit, including Denise Howell, uh, Den- uh, Jason Howell, no relation. Um, Micah Sargent is going to be doing Triangulations too, our, one of our newest hosts, and our brand new host, Aunt Pruitt. And we're, uh, we're looking forward to his uh, contributions to the show. So it's kind of a rotating roster. I insisted on being on today's show, though, because our guest is Edward Niedermeyer. He writes about cars, automobiles, vehicles, and is the author of a new book about Tesla called Ludicrous, The Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. It comes out August 20th, although uh, I'm told you can you could probably get it right now if you hustle over to Amazon. Hardcover and Kindle versions. Are you going to do an audible version? First of all, welcome, Ed. Nice to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, an audiobook version is in the works. Um, I've been told it'll be out around August 20th, maybe a little afterwards, but yeah, it's, it's happening. So you're a brave fellow. <laughs> uh, you, I, actually, I'm really glad that you began the book with a story about your background so we kind of understand that you're a traditional automotive writer. Uh, in fact, yeah, took over your dad's newsletter, very famous uh, automotive newsletter, and was editor in chief there. So you're you're a what they what my friend uh, Samuel Samid calls a metal bender. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that is how I got, I got my start. It wasn't my dad's. My dad worked for the website. It was called The Truth About Cars. Um, it was actually founded by a guy called Robert Frago, um, and uh, its sort of main claim to fame was was covering. Uh, the Detroit automakers, they had a GM death watch and a Chrysler <laughs> death watch, Ford death watch. And I left school in 2008 and uh, frankly, really couldn't get a job doing anything like waiting tables or anything. Um, and, um, you know, my dad said, hey, they're looking for someone to, to do some news blogging on this site. You want to do it? And, you know, I had always been exposed. My dad's a huge car guy. And so I'd always been exposed to it, but it wasn't really my background. But um I kind of realized uh, pretty quickly that it's a fascinating subject. Um, it's something that you know people don't pay attention to enough. Cars are really an important part of our you know, economy and material culture, or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm from and, California. Uh, I mean, it is this is car culture country. I mean, that's really it, man. You know. Yeah, and 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 I think you know, as I mentioned in the book, I think the main takeaway that I got uh, from starting, especially in 2008, is that just the car industry is brutally hard. It's, yeah, I was fascinated. You know, once you started writing about it, I realized, of course, you're planning a product five years ahead of time. You have no idea what the demand's going to be. It's hugely capital intensive, and it's completely possible to lose your shirt with, well, look at the Edsel, for instance, with one wrong turn. 
And of course, by the time you were writing about it, all three of the big automakers in Detroit were about to go under or close to bankruptcy. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's also an incredibly competitive business. Um, you know, people like to say that there's not really innovation in, in the auto industry. And in fact, you know, it, it, there aren't quantum leaps, right? It's a relatively mature class of products, but it's also incredibly competitive. And, and the changes are going on constantly. Um, you have to kind of uh, run to, st to stand still um, in the business. Um, and uh, you need a lot of scale. And with scale comes complexity. And so it's just, it's an, it's an insanely difficult business. And it's been around for 100 years. And literally thousands of companies have not made it. They've right. gone out of business. Right. And I think people tend to think of the auto industry as being sort of, you know, slow moving dinosaurs. Um, and they are slow moving, but not because they're dumb, but because that's what's proven over 100 years of, of competitive pressure, of, of, of evolution, of survival of the fittest. Like moving slow has proven to have real advantages. And so, you know, the Tesla story was so fascinating to me, uh, has always been fascinating to me because it's the first time someone has come in and said, let's let's do a car um, with sort of a, a software startup style company, right? With that kind of culture. And um, basically the premise of the book is that um, that experience, uh, you know, has, has been very successful at some things. I think a lot of people are very familiar with uh, the things that Tesla's been successful about, they're they're good at getting that into the media. Um, but there's also been a lot of things that they really haven't done well. Um, and that is a product of the kind of culture they brought to the business, among some other factors. And I think it's really important that we learn the lessons from that experience, the what's worked and what hasn't, because um, you know the auto industry and the tech sector are going to converge more and more. And we it's important to understand sort of what do tech companies do well, what do car companies do well, and, and they are very different. It was really an opportunity for Elon Musk, who had uh, made his first fortune as one of the founders of PayPal. And around 2008, uh, as, as a couple of things are going on, gas prices are going through the roof, car companies are struggling, he saw an opportunity to make an electric vehicle. But electric vehicles aren't anything new. The first automobiles in the 1910s were electric vehicles. What happened that we... We went. We abandoned electricity. Went to gas, and then, you know, very famously, GM had its EV1, and you talk about that in the book a little bit. And of course, there's that great documentary, "Who Killed the Electric Car," where people wanted this vehicle, and GM not only stopped leasing it, they, they crushed all the remaining vehicles. What happened? Why aren't we driving? Why aren't all cars electric? Yeah, I mean the. The short answer is that, um, you know, battery technology really hasn't, in terms of lead-acid batteries, Yeah, the early ones not were, changed. were lead-acid, right. Yeah, yeah and, and from 1910 until really the 90s, um, when you had some new, um, you know, uh, nickel cadmium and nickel metal hydride sort of chemistries and, and eventually lithium ion, um, th that was really the first time that, that you had batteries um, that were sort of a, a real step up from, from those lead-acid. And, and while sort of battery technology languished for the better part of a century, um, internal combustion en uh, engine technology went went crazy. It it made massive, massive leaps um, and continues to. Like people don't realize how much more sophisticated gas engines uh, have become. And I think in general with cars, people take them for granted in a lot of different ways. Um, and I think in large part because, you know, it's it's. Detroit in the in the 50s and 60s was like Silicon Valley now, where it had all this cultural power, 
And it, uh, you know, inspired people about the future and it showed them what the future could be like. Uh, it really was what Silicon Valley is now, but it's lost that mojo over the last 50 years. Um, and, uh, you know, now I think the tech sector, Elon Musk, I think what's fascinating about Tesla is that they've, they've stepped in and, and showed, you know, car companies can still do this. They can still show you what the future is going to look like. Um, and I think that's why it resonated. It was something that we sort of had a maybe cultural memory of. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the EV1 is, I mean, there's, there's a, a great book called The Car That Could that really goes into it. That was a complicated situation. Um, the, the way that car was designed, I, I think it's, it's my personal opinion is that it was unlikely that it could have been yeah. um, financially viable. It wasn't, certainly in the way it was executed. Um, and I think the reality is, is that uh, electric cars have been very popular with um, certain demographics. A narrow slice, at, yes. <laughs> if you look at, at vehicle sales in the U.S., you know, people say, oh, Tesla's the future, electric cars are the future. And I, I believe those things. I certainly want to believe those things. But if you look at sales, what's, <laughs> the bigger trend uh, then gas to electric is cars to SUVs and pickup trucks. Which is bizarre, uh, but that's because gas prices started going down. They tumbled and people bought bigger cars all of a sudden. They said, oh, it's cheap again because yep. we are not we are not a long-term planning society. We just yep. go, oh, what's the price at the pump? All right, I'm getting an SUV. <laughs> yep. Americans love value. Um, you know, yeah. cars have been associated with, with freedom. Well, that's a, a big part have, of it, isn't it? It's psychology as well, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. We have yeah. decades of, of marketing that have associated cars with certain values, and electric cars don't necessarily fit into those values. So the year that movie came out, 2006, interestingly, Elon Musk wrote his secret plan, and his yeah. secret plan was published <laughs> worldwide. Right. Tell us about the secret plan. So, I mean, in, in essence, it, it was a blog post and it basically laid out the strategy that I think a lot of people associate with Tesla, which was, you know, we're going to start out with this expensive sports car. Um, then we're going to use the profits from that to develop a vehicle that's, you know, a lot bigger volume and a lot lower price. The Model and S. They said about double the volume. Yeah, yeah, this would be Model S. Double the volume and, and half the price is what it was supposed to be. Uh, did not quite work out that way. Uh, and then it would continue to, to sort of double in volume and, and, and have roughly in price, uh, you know, with each subsequent model. Um, what's interesting about it is that, uh, you know, for me, I think this is the moment where Tesla took one of several really pivotal moments for Tesla because um, this was right after it came out right after the sort of they came out of stealth mode and they were showing the, the Roadster for the first time. And uh, there had been some media coverage, particularly in the New York Times, two stories um, that had really irked. Elon Musk, um, because Martin Aberhart, who was one of the original sort of two founders, tech, Elon is, is, is also a founder um, now because of a subsequent lawsuit, but, but it really started with two people. And Martin Aberhart, who was the CEO initially, uh, got all this attention. And in the first New York Times story, Elon Musk wasn't mentioned at all. In the second one, he was sort of like, oh, he's the, the money guy or whatever, uh, barely, barely mentioned. Um, and there are emails uh, where Elon Musk was extremely upset about this. And Within a, a few weeks, he put out this this blog post, and and what it does is it established him as sort of this central figure to the Tesla, mastermind, that, that, the evil exactly. genius behind Tesla, and that's just you know started off this this sort of direction that's kind of continued and, and accelerated ever since. I uh, speaking as a former Tesla owner, and I'll give you full disclosure in a second. 
I found the manifesto inspiring because it isn't merely to build an electric car and then another electric car that's cheaper and another electric car that's even cheaper, but it's also to provide zero emission electric power generation options. It is ultimately, and maybe this is hindsight, but to solve the climate crisis by eliminating gas vehicles. And, and as somebody who says that's a great thing, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I bought right into it. I, uh, I bought a Model X, one of the... F Actually, I should go back because a good friend of mine, Jason Calacanis, has Roadster 1. And uh, I've, I've ridden in his Roadster. I've, uh, I've, Jason is a cheerleader for Elon uh, and, and, a, and a friend of Elon's. And uh, I drank the Kool-Aid. I said, this is great. As soon as I can afford one, I will get one. And I bought a Model X, almost one of the first off the uh, line, July of three years ago. So what is that, 2016? And uh, but I leased it because my wife said, "You can't trust that battery. <laughs> we there'll be and she she was right in one respect. There'll be better ones coming out the year after, the year after, the year after. You don't want to own it more than three years." She was right. I just turned in my Model X, and I am not probably not going to buy another Tesla. But we did buy a Bolt. Okay, and I think the Bolt exists to some degree because of Tesla. Isn't that correct? It also exists because of CARB. Yes, absolutely. And CARB's a big um, player in this. Talk about CARB. Well, but before we get to that, just okay. on the master plan part, I mean, one of the things that's really fascinating to me is that, is that yeah, so, so the idea was, you know, we don't want to sell toys to rich people. We want to, you know, sell something to, to, to wealthy people so we can fund and, right. and, like you say, sort of solve the entire problem. And right? I was glad to buy Ludicrous Mode at $10,000, not because I needed it, because I felt like I was – it was literally, in my mind, a donation. Yes. And, and I think that's one of the really interesting things is that Tesla has not really delivered – certainly the master plan has not played out the way Elon Musk laid it out, right? Their second car, the Model S – Average transaction price for that was right about $100,000, which was basically the same as the Roadster. Third car, Model X, about $100,000 average transaction Mine was price. was 120 Okay, go ahead. Because yeah. <laughs> so, I got so, all the bells and whistles. Yeah. Exactly. I paid extra and, for red brake calipers. So, so Talk the, about drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> the crazy thing is, is that the plan was a failure, but the mission has succeeded. And I think it's that's the interesting part about this is that, is that Tesla has had – a real impact, not just on the market and perceptions, but on the industry itself as I think well. So. Yes, simply by selling the expensive cars, and and their culture is set up much better to be a small volume, you know, purveyor of, of high end cars, basically Silicon Valley, Ferrari, or you know, that mm -hmm. is the business that I think that they can make work, and they haven't done it because of this like messianic vision, and the tragedy of it is that I think you know they can really they they have made a great impact. In what they're trying to accomplish, you know, on that big scale, um, without having to sell cars to everybody and at every at every price point. And I think the Model Three now is showing that uh, selling affordable cars to the mass market is a very different business than selling small volumes of premium cars. And it's much harder. And their culture is really not set up for it. And um, you know, they've already said at this point they're not gonna they're not gonna go really any cheaper. Uh, there's been mixed signals about that, but I I, I would not expect a Tesla to ever be cheaper than the cheapest Model 3 right now. So this, what's great about this story, we're talking uh, with uh, Ed Niedermeyer. He's the author of a new book about Tesla called uh, Ludicrous. What's great about this story is it's, there's really two tracks. There's a grand sociological track 
to this and changing times, changing culture, uh, changing needs, Silicon Valley. And then there's also this, this great man psychological track because Elon is such a study in <laughs> contradictions. I don't know. I don't know what. In fact, I'm going to ask you a little bit about this. Uh, but on the sociological side, it was the California uh, Admissions Board, CARB, that really set the stage for electric vehicles to start being economically, maybe not viable, but something the car companies had to make. Yeah. And, and one of the great ironies is that the car companies have basically been subsidizing Tesla because of CARB, right? Um, people think of, of CARB a lot of times as being you know, a taxpayer subsidy. Um, and really what it is, is if you don't sell enough electric cars, you pretty much have to buy tes- uh, credits from Tesla. Huh. Um, huh. And, and so the nice. car companies have actually <laughs> been the ones who have been subsidizing Tesla. Um, and I think now, you know, ironically, one of the reasons that, that more of them are making electric cars, it's, it's as much, you know, they need to do it anyway. They know that. And, and, and the market is sort of slowly but steadily um, moving in that direction. But um, but I think they just they're they sick of signing these checks to Tesla. <laughs> I think that's a that's a real part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also, I mean, you know, so so Carb is kind of in a way how I, I got into this story, uh, really the book, um, because they had given Tesla basically sort of double the the credits, um, which really can amount to it's it's hard to say for sure what Tesla sold those credits for, but I think clearly in the tens of millions and and up to the hundreds of millions of dollars, um, they were they were getting double the credits um, for doing this battery swap system, which uh, turns out to have been basically a, a facade. <laughs> they never it, it did. Wasn't, I remember they, seeing the videos. I thought, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd, it's funny because Tesla has said subsequently uh, that, you know, I've been, you know, on a, a, a jihad against them since 2008, which is absolutely not true. In 2014, I had lunch at their headquarters with one of their top executives. And like I've seen, I saw Elon's, you know, workspace. And what, like, it, but but they 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 said this and and the reality is is that it was this battery swap thing that really uh, sucked me in. I I had been fascinated with an Israeli company called Project Better Place that was doing battery swap, and when they said that they were opening this up, I was really excited. Um, and I really and and after about five months of them saying that it was available and people were theoretically using it, um, I couldn't find any reports of people <laughs> using it. So I went down to Harris Ranch where it was, which is halfway between San Francisco and L.A. Um, I spent four days and it didn't get used once. It was a busy holiday weekend. Um, and uh, what did happen was that uh, they brought in extra superchargers because there were lines at the superchargers, right? And it takes 45 minutes, say, to charge. And if there's two people in front of you in line, each one of them takes 45 minutes and, and it gets really inconvenient. They brought in extra superchargers instead of opening this battery swap station that they said was open uh, and, and hooked these superchargers up to diesel generators. And oh that was sort God, of the moment. That's terrible. <laughs> that was sort of the moment where I was like, you know, not only are they are they saying that they have this technology that's not really real, apparently, or it's not what they claim it is, but then they're also willing to, you know, do stuff like hook, you know, cars up to diesel generators. Um, when you see something like that, you kind of start to think, wait a second, if a company is willing to do that, you know, what else are they willing to do? And sure enough. You know, there's never just one cockroach. And the more I dug into Tesla, that was the point at which I said, you know, this there, there's got to be more here. And so I really started digging into the story. And and what I found, you know, I've been writing online, you know, since 2014, 2015. And uh, and now it's it's, you know, in the book. Well, <laughs> OK, let me unpack a lot of the things we just talked about, because yeah. <laughs> if you don't drive an electric vehicle, uh, you, you may not be familiar with 
all of the issues involved. And of course, one of the reasons a lot of people don't drive electric vehicles is range anxiety. Uh, there's gas stations everywhere. You never worry about running out of gas and saying, what am I going to do now? But there aren't charging stations everywhere. That's part of the problem. Elon's cars have always had a lot of range, much more than the competitors until recently. Over two, My, my uh, Model X had over a 250-mile range. So... Uh, but you still have that problem after 250 miles. Now what? So they built the supercharger network that is a high-speed, high-amperage, voltage, high-voltage charging network. Uh, and that was a brilliant idea. They were exclusive to Tesla. You couldn't use your Chevy Bolt. You can't charge it there. It was exclusive to Tesla. And that was actually the thing that put me over the top is when they put a supercharger in our neck of the woods. But this idea of what if instead of charging the car, <laughs> you drove up. The battery in the car, the entire battery was taken out. A different fully charged battery was put in a battery swap station. Seemed like a clever idea. Now, this Israeli startup, Better Place, went bankrupt trying to make it work. They did. And and they actually even had a more sort of sophisticated approach where they – it wasn't just you solving didn't even the get batteries problem. with the car. Yeah, that's the thing. They would sell you the electric car with no battery. And so you could buy the car itself for $20,000. And then you just had sort of like, it was like a cell phone plan, right? Yeah. And you would you would buy however many miles a month or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it fell apart for a whole bunch of reasons. But the idea of it was so brilliant that it really captured my imagination. It's a and great sort idea, of, yeah. yeah. There's the issue of who owns the batteries. And so Better Place made more sense than Tesla. Exactly. Uh, because that's my battery and I'm going to give you and then you're going to give me and is this battery going to be any good? And there's all How's sorts it been of, treated? Yeah, how's yeah. it been treated? There's all sorts of issues and I can understand why it, it, it ultimately didn't fly. Yeah. The good news is, again, thanks to Tesla, the charging issue is kind of resolved because VW in its Dieselgate settlement agreed to spend $2 billion and put chargers in all over the United States in a, in a company called electrify america and these are ccs fast chargers yep. so you could start to see an electric future where there are chargers everywhere in the same way there are gas stations everywhere there's still that disadvantage you could fill up a tank in a few minutes it's going to take you an hour to charge up your car but they're often near a wendy's you go you have a hamburger and then you get back on the road it's never been a problem uh it was never a problem for me and i have to tell you as somebody who once i drove an electric car i never want to drive a gasoline car again. Uh, they're not only f more fun to drive, but they're almost maintenance-free. These electric engines are much simpler than gasoline engines. Much simpler. If you ever see a the schematic of the two, it's insane how complicated a gas vehicle is. There's no transmission on an electric car. There's no oil changes. There's no tune-ups. It's an electric motor. And, uh, and so it seems like a better technology, to be honest. Yeah, and and the irony is is that is that yeah, I mean you're right. Conceptually, electric cars should be much more uh, low maintenance. They are much more simple mechanically. Although uh, there are actually companies working on transmissions. Uh, Tesla was not able to do a two speed transmission for their Roadster, uh, but there are companies who think they can do it now. Um, but I never and, felt uh, the need for a transmission. I guess people like sticks. I don't know. What do you want a transmission for? It's forward and backward. <laughs> Yeah, it operates a little more efficiency uh, oh, okay. efficiently, and the I thing is, so, with so, the, yeah. so the Tesla, like, right? The reason the Teslas are so you know popular, they they really made EVs so popular, is because they threw a lot of batteries at the problem, right? Right, so, and that's why they're expensive. Right. Um, they're expensive cars; not everyone can afford them, and there's a lot of batteries. And frankly, if we replaced every car on the road with a Tesla, um, there's not enough cobalt in the world. There's not enough of a lot of minerals, or not enough supply of that 
uh, to make the, the supply chain work um, at this That's point. That's part now, of the problem is we're being... still stuck with these uh, primitive battery technologies. Lithium ion made it possible, but it's still problematic in the long run. Well, and, and ironically, too, you know, Tesla is a very futuristic company, in, obviously in a lot of ways and forward looking. But also, I mean, their cars are, are very American, like traditionally American in, in ways. They're big. They're wide. They're heavy. They're yeah. powerful. Yeah. These are like it's it's you know and and um, ironically right and and they have overkill range and I think overkill is also sort of a recurring theme in American cars. Yes. And the reality is is that you know who really drives a hundred miles? No. You know, in a day. I more, never had a problem. You know, how often? Yeah. And and the thing is, that Americans have to you know. Are, Every household basically has two cars. There's basically more cars than people in this country. Yeah. And so you can have one electric car with 100 miles of range that's quite affordable that takes care of 90% yeah. of your use cases and then have an, an SUV or something, you know, maybe a plug-in hybrid or, or a hybrid or something that, you know, that 10% of the time when you have to, you know, go skiing at the mountain or go out to the middle of nowhere to go camping or whatever, then you take that. And, and I think that, you know, one of the risks of Tesla is that sort of because they've had this success, particularly with an affluent, you know, sort of influential market that everyone's going to just do the same thing. And the reality is, is that electric cars, you know, don't all need to be Teslas in order to, to have better market success than they've had so far. Honestly, in almost every respect, the Bolt is a better car at a quarter of the price. Really? Yeah. You don't, you don't hear that a lot, but, but I'm curious, like what, what makes you, uh, the range is 230 miles. It's a smaller car, which, frankly, you're right, makes a lot more sense. The SUV, the Falcon doors, give me a break. Uh, that my my wife always felt like we were driving around in a beta version of a vehicle, and this is that software culture you talked about. Their Tesla gets updates weekly, and in fact, there have been complaints. There's a guy suing Tesla right now because a software update reduced his range. Yep. And, and yeah, no, you're absolutely right. They have a, a minimum viable product, which in an industry exactly. that, that, you know, spends five years and it's like the car industry is such a, a measure twice cut once business. They would rather take three months or delay, you know, a, a launch six months or whatever to work out problems. Because once you start manufacturing something in order to do that efficiently, you know, you want to make each one as close as, as similar to the next, right? Quality and manufacturing means, you know, if you build three things, there's, they're as similar as possible, right? And a defect is anything that differentiates one well, product from another. Each Tesla and, is a unique little snowflake. <laughs> and I happen and to for, get a good snowflake, but yeah. there were many people who did not. In fact, before I picked mine up at the factory, uh, I downloaded from Reddit a checklist of things yeah. to check on fit and finish before you take that car. Yep. And the reason I didn't get another Tesla is because of a parts issue. It yeah. turns out if you broke a windshield or you had a part problem, their supply chain is so wonky that you could be waiting months. You could be waiting months to get your t windshield replaced. Yeah, That makes no sense. Plus, the front tire size was different from the back tire size, so you couldn't rotate the tires. Yeah. So I went through three sets of tires in 15,000 miles. Yeah. I mean, I can go on and on. It, it is. It's a minimal viable product. It's very much a software mentality of get it out the door and we could tweak it. We can make, make it better. And as a technologist, I didn't mind that. But yeah. my wife, who is a car person, she said, well, this is crazy. This is a beta test. You're driving a beta test. The car went forward and was supposed to go backward. We, we first got it. We called them up. 
They said, no, no, let me look at the log. No, you were going, you were in forward. <laughs> that was a little yeah. scary. They knew yeah. every button press, every, they had logged it all. And then literally the next day they called up and said, we've got a feature in here now where if you press and hold the brake pedal, <laughs> it'll put on the e-brake so you won't roll. And yeah. it, it was like they fixed it. Yeah. They did a push it, to software fix. Yep. And and that's that's great for the stuff that you can fix with software. But you can't fix fit, fit and no, finish. <laughs> yeah, well, and and lots of things, right? So the Model Three, for example, and this hasn't really been widely reported, but um, you know, they launched it in what July or August of 2017. In January of 2018, they put out this it's called a technical service bulletin, which basically means you know here's something that needs to be fixed, but it's not safety related, so we're not doing a recall. And what it all the TSB says is we've developed a new motor for the Model 3 that meets our standards for performance and quality. And you're like, wait a second, you've been selling a car (laughs) for seven months, eight months with a motor that didn't meet your own standards on a design level? That's not even a a manufacturing quality problem. That's a, we didn't have the design baked yet when we took, took this car to market. And again, you know, manufacturing is not all the same. You can make certain things sort of with some some version of that, but like cars are literally the most complicated consumer good of all. I'm not, I'm the, you know, I'm sure people could quibble, but like it, that that is, you know, built at the scale that it's built at, right? We buy 17 million of these things a year in the U.S. and each one of them has thousands of parts, and um, you know, to to operate efficiently, um, and and I mentioned this in the book. At car companies, they actually have a thing. This is the Toyota production system innovated this. It's called the Andon, and it's a cord on the assembly line that you pull if you see something that goes wrong. And it brings any line worker can bring the entire factory to a stop. And what they do is they do a root cause analysis on it, and then they fix not just the problem, they fix the cause of the problem upstream, whatever caused it. And not until they've done that do they restart production again. And the reason is, is because the only way to make these things efficiently is using standardized processes on a, a really well-developed production system assembly line. That's Henry if Ford's have, innovation, right? The, well, no, so that's actually this is actually Toyota production system. Oh, innovation. but this is their uh, yeah improvement, so but had, over the assembly line. I agree. He yes, had the yes. assembly right. He had the yeah. moving assembly line, yeah. uh, but he was focused on just efficient, uh, uh, not you know moving things as fast as possible. He's right. cranking stuff out as fast as possible. That was sort of the first manufacturing innovate or you know sort of movement in the car business. But wasn't the assembly and, line also about producing a consistent? product mass production of a a consistent product each time it was yes yeah, so standardized parts w- yeah. was part of that um yeah. and and because every, every car it, before that was hand built like a bicycle but henry ford also kept it simple because like the the vehicles almost didn't change at all they were right. all really standardized right. and as cars got more complicated and and you know that. market demanded more variation that's when the toyota production system really came in and 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 they realized you know it's much more you, – you really have to focus on quality more than, than cranking stuff out because these things are so complicated. If you have to go in once it goes off the assembly line and fix it – and Tesla's done a ton of this. They have a whole you know reworking and remanufacturing operation, some of which are, have been massive. Um, and it, it's so fundamentally inefficient to have a human go in, figure out what the problem is, and then fix it themselves in, in non-standardized processes, uh, not even using processes. And and so you know, in a traditional car company, um, post this sort of Toyota production system revolution, you know, like I said, they would rather shut down the entire factory and not make any cars 
then make cars with even relatively small defects that you have to then fix sort of manually and, and in a non-standardized way. We're talking to Ed Niedermeyer, his new book. I would hold it up, but I don't have a copy. I only have a PDF, but it's really a good read. It's ludicrous, the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors. It comes out technically August 20th, although I think you can at, at least... Amazon's been shipping. Amazon's yeah. been shipping. Damn them. Actually, it's great. <laughs> I'm so glad they are. It's. I will get myself a hardcover uh, as soon as I can. Um, it's really interesting to see how the world divides between Tesla fans and Tesla enemies. And a lot of, and I have to say I'm a Tesla fan in the sense that I really support the vision and the idea. And I think we need to move in this direction. And I love electric vehicles. I just really do. Uh, but you said something interesting. Not many Bolt people are, are Bolt fans. <laughs> but I am because I'm an electric vehicle fan, and I was very impressed that for $30,000 after all the government rebates, by the way, $10,000 in government rebates on this vehicle, uh, $30,000 compared to $120,000, it was 80% of, you know, it didn't have autopilot, but, it, but maybe that's not a bad thing. It was 80% of what that Model X was. And, yeah. uh, and it certainly felt more reliable and it felt like it was made by an actual car company instead of yeah. a startup out of Silicon Valley. Um, but I don't know. I straddle the line because, uh, you know, a lot of times Tesla fans will call anybody that says anything negative, including you, yeah. a sh you know, a short. Oh, you, yep. you must have be shorting the stock. You're trying to take us down, man. Uh, yeah. And they don't really tolerate criticism well. And that starts yeah. right at the top with Elon. Uh, he doesn't want to hear any criticism at all. Um, did <laughs> your relationship got sour pretty quick when they found out you were writing this, right? Uh, oh, even before. Um, yeah. So in 2016, um, actually, right after I officially decided I was gonna I was gonna write a book about Tesla, um, I, I had a story come out. Um, and the short version is Tesla was was doing uh, repairs of um, defective parts including some suspensions that were breaking. Um, and, and in order to get free or discounted repairs, you had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And let, me, that let, me, let, me, let me say once again what you just said, because that's stunning. If you wanted to get a free fix of their broken part, the thing they'd misdesigned in the first place, you had to sign an NDA yeah. so that no one would know that that part was broken. Yeah, and it was a sweeping NDA. You couldn't discuss what went wrong, how they fixed it, or that you even signed the agreement. It's unheard um, of. <laughs> certainly in the car business, it's 100% unheard of. <laughs> and the reason that was a really big problem is that um, NHTSA, the safety regulator, National Highway uh, Tra Traffic Safety Administration, um, they rely on two sources of, of data, basically, to, to make sure the cars are safe. <clears throat> One source is the car company itself. They want to self-report something great. Uh, you know, can't really rely on that though. And so they also have these, uh, this complaint database and any, anybody who owns a car, um, ha and has a, a defect that they think might have safety implications, um, can go and report that to Tesla. I mean, not to Tesla, excuse me, to, to the NTA, Yeah. And HTCA, yeah. because of course, yeah. because of course, <laughs> but, but then you, if you sign a non-disclosure agreement, you can't. And I think that sort of this is all and, and anyway so I, I wrote this story i had a quote from nitsa and they said this is unacceptable you know they have to stop doing it they, they they made them stop doing it and tesla responded not by saying you know hey you know uh yeah that that was that was a mistake and like 
thanks for pointing it out and, and you know, we need to do better or something like that. Um, yeah, they called me a short. Well, they said they made up the story. Um, they said that I was trying to prove that there was a, a specific suspension defect, which I, I said in the piece, I'm not an engineer. I can't, I can't prove that. That's up to NHTSA. Um, and so basically they twisted my story and, and, and made me out to be, a, a, a somebody who makes stuff up and, uh, because I'm short the stock or that I work for people who are short the stock. Right. And of course they made that up. They've never presented any evidence to suggest why that is and, or why they think that. Um, and it's not true. It's, but it's, um, the, it's the, it's the brush that every Tesla critic is tarred with immediately and not just by Tesla, but by the Tesla fans. Yes. Tesla owners. I mean, there really yeah. is a cadre of uh, Tesla owners who just, they don't want to hear it. They stand by yep. Elon uh, regardless. Um, so let's just, let's just make the, it, it reminds me a little bit of a cult. It's like Scientology. In, the, yeah. If they have a PR problem, uh, they go, they do bad things to get rid of the PR problem instead of fixing the problem. They like to go on the offensive. Yeah, and, and like that, especially in that 2015, 2016, even 2017 time period leading up to the Model 3, a lot of the stories I was writing, I was really trying to emphasize that like, look, you know, you may be getting away with this right now. This may not be the end of the world to the kinds of people that you're selling cars to right now, which are usually, you know, well-off people, mostly in the tech sector or people who really are into the, the idea of high technology and they want to be on the cutting edge. You know, those people, if their Tesla breaks down, you know, they'll take the Lexus into work or whatever. Yeah, it's exactly. Not, I it, took the Audi A8 into work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> you know, but when you get into the mass market, it's a very different kind of market. And ironically, you know, I think people who aren't familiar with the business, they think, well, if you spend $100,000 in a car, you expect more of it. And you do in certain ways, you expect that it says something about you or, you know, looks a certain way or performs a certain way. But really, in terms of what makes a car hard to make well, uh, the cheapest cars are the ones that the customers rely on the most. And so, and, and you also build them in, in bigger volume. And so there's more opportunities to go wrong. That combination of having more things that can go wrong and having customers who are less tolerant when things go wrong um, is just not well adapted for, you know, I mean, Tesla has not adapted themselves to that. And so, like, I was writing these stories saying, listen, you may be getting away with this now, but when you get the Model 3 out there and you're trying to sell cars at $35,000, $40,000, even there, which is not cheap, that there's going to be a different kind of buyer. And you need to start taking, yeah, uh, uh, the, the service really and the quality are the two main, you know, and they're interrelated because quality is bad, then service gets swamped, right? And, and that's exactly the problem that we've seen. And instead of you know, at the time saying, oh, yeah, you know, we are getting into a different market. You know, we need to be doing this or we are or like we taking this seriously and we embrace this kind of, you know, criticism, um, which, again, it's, it's constructive. I wasn't trying to tear them down. I, it was because I actually do agree with the generally what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and instead, they yeah, they attack and they make you out to be terrible and they sick these hordes of people online to really just harass you. And they'll sue and, you and they'll go after you. And uh there's, you know, cases of whistleblowers at the Tesla plant who, uh, I mean, it's almost shocking how they've been smeared and, and attacked. Yeah, so, and yet, everybody I've talked to as a Model 3 loves it. Yeah. It's, the customer look, it's satisfaction a, on the Model 3 is very, very high. 
Yeah, well, they also measure that within three days of you buying it. <laughs> so okay, that's, that's true. What, that's what sources have told me. I, you know, if I'm wrong, Tesla, please, you know, get some information out there. But, but my own empirical, you know, which is not my anecdotal measurements are people yeah. really love their Model Threes, and you know, just the way I love my Model Ten, Model X, it was kind of like you, you're buying into it. You're you're yeah. you're buying into the fantasy, and you can't say, well, it's yeah, there's problems. Because then it, 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 you know, you're in a way you're impugning your own judgment. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they are great cars. I mean, like, like if just as something to drive and to have fun driving and to experience as a piece of technology, oh, like so much fun to drive a Tesla. It really is a great car to drive. It's actually, that was the thing that surprised me the most. Cause the S and the X are eh, they're okay. They're fast, but they're not like for me anyway, I prefer more of like a good handling car and the model three handles really well yeah. um i also just don't think like the design is necessarily i like it personally it's but pretty uh, minimalist. i don't think it's mass market yeah it's not it's not what most There's people no are looking for in a car. <laughs> but so they have this support that's like you know sort of really really deep but not very wide yeah. right okay there was i mean i have to say uh when they they started taking pre-orders for the model three the one thousand dollar deposit for the model three and in day one it's a hundred thousand and two hundred thousand i think it got to over three hundred thousand like billions of dollars yeah. got almost five hundred thousand five hundred thousand or 475 i think and that was what 2015 2016 16 yep. at that point i said they turned the corner the elon's secret plan paid off mm -hmm. they have an 18 billion dollar kitty now to 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 become a real car company that's not quite what happened it is not quite what happened and ironically it was that success that made you think you know wow maybe the corner has been turned that actually ended up being their undoing in a way it was the, the combination of that success and and sort of the hubris that that's always been a part of tesla um basically they had a really really ambitious manufacturing plan um to build 500,000 by by 2020 and that's a a really ambitious ramp um, and when those orders came in, Elon apparently thought, you know, this is it. Like we've we have arrived, right? We've made it, and now we need to be able to um, really do something revolutionary with manufacturing. And he again, they brought a high tech approach to this, which is like, let's make a quantum leap, right? Let's do this alien dreadnought where it's all robots and it's moving so fast a human couldn't even be part of the production process and all this stuff and you know these are things that like car companies talked about in the 1980s and even general motors tried building a super automated plant in flint michigan uh that did not work out well then and the technology has not changed enough and and you know fundamentally manufacturing is not a good fit with the with the high-tech sector because big quantum leaps don't really happen in manufacturing it's a fundamentally you know, iterative thing. And that's why the Toyota production system, one of the core principles is, is Kaizen, which just means continuous improvement. And it means that everybody who's part of this system improves their part a little bit every day and collectively, you know, because of the scale of the operation, all of those tiny little improvements really can create some like amazing advancements. But it's not sort of get a bunch of really smart, creative people together and, and feed them a lot of Red Bull and like they'll hackathon their way, you know, to something that's just way better. And so what happened was Tesla ended up spending, it's hard to find it, billions of dollars, right? They've had, they've raised four and a half billion dollars since 2016 
that that where they explicitly said they're trying to get to 500,000 units, they still haven't made to 500,000 units. They say they won't until they have this new factory in China. And it's because they got way too ambitious and they literally built two assembly lines that like kind of don't work. Yeah. And they had to build the one in the tent. And ironically, the one that ended up, they had to pull it together so fast, it ended up being uh, less made than they even were before. It's extremely dependent on, on manual labor, which is now supposedly what they're doing in, in, in China. And so, you know, it, to me, that's just such a great lesson in, in the auto industry, right? If you teach, you know, you, you treat it like, you know, you can just hackathon your way through this and, and make these quantum leaps, you know, you end up actually going backwards. And that, that's what Tesla did. And, and they really, because of hubris, they really squandered a, a historic, historic opportunity with the Model 3. And frankly, now with service problems and, and persistent quality problems, they're kind of continuing to. And I think it's because they're just not set up to be a mass market car company. So what? So it's possible, isn't it, that you're a traditional car guy. You, you know, that's your background. You covered traditional car companies. And what, what Musk is trying to do is visionary and different. And so their position would be, well, you just, you car guys won't get it because we're not going to do things the way they used to be done. Yeah. And, and you have to admit, not just with Tesla, but with SpaceX, that Elon's, Elon's crazy hubris and willingness to be just out of the box, and often I think it's because he thinks we're in a simulation and it doesn't matter, but whatever it is, maybe it's the drugs he's taking, I don't know, uh, is to some de- that is the Silicon Valley way. That is to some degree what made Silicon Valley a success. Isn't it possible that the best way to do a new car company wouldn't be the way GM and Ford and, you know, Toyota did it, but to do it the way Silicon Valley did it. Well, um, I think for a premium brand, yeah. If you only want to sell. So his mistake is to be a, it's trying to be a mass market company. Yes. That, that really is the, is the fundamental mistake. And, and again, I think that's, I I really tried to not make this book about Elon Musk. I, I, my background is, the auto industry, or covering the auto industry, and and that's what I know, and that's what I tried to, to really focus on covering. Um, and uh, I I think that the you know if you look at the history, which is what the book does, it shows that from the very beginning and at every step, they've not fully understood and um, underestimated the challenge of what they were getting into. But that's and very Silicon Valley. It is. When Steve it Jobs is. said, we're going to do a smartphone, that first iPhone prototype he demonstrated on stage barely worked. Yeah. It was not a product. Yep. And and that's very Silicon Valley. And the Silicon Valley motto is fail fast, <laughs> right? And keep, right? And move forward. Right. And so if you have a product that um, the manufacturing is nimble enough um, and most importantly that the margins are high enough – on, then you can sort of make it work, right? Which is why I think, you know, if you have a small volume, you know, uh, manufacturing and, and you're selling really, really, you know, like, like instead of bringing their prices down, Tesla should be breaking their prices up. They should be doing special Elon signature editions for like 300, 400, $500,000. Seriously. Yeah. Like, cause Jason Calacanis would buy it. That exactly. And there's a lot of people who, who, who would buy that. And I, I think would that's probably, how yeah. they could make money. And, and yeah. guess what? Like, 
that's more of what they've been doing than what they originally planned on I doing. Bought the, I huge... bought the bioweapon defense mode. Yeah. My... <laughs> because Elon said it would be great if you ever had a, you know, a mustard gas attack. I don't yeah. need that. I spent a lot of money on that. But I also knew in my head, A, it's cool because it's got that bioweapon logo. And B, I'm, I'm putting money into Tesla to support this vision of an electric yeah. future. And I think you're right. I think there's still people that do that. I probably would do that. But yeah. it has to be a car that I can drive. Yeah. That you can rely on. That I can rely on. Yeah. And if, if, they're gonna, if they lose that. Now, uh, I, it's probably too recent to have gotten into your book. But what your book does talk about J.B. Straubel. Mm. who is an interesting fellow because he doesn't get any credit. Nobody knows his name. Yeah. But he's the CTO at Tesla. He's considered... What? what well, that's the, that's the news, right? He was, yeah. he was considered to be the guy, really, the genius behind the whole thing. Left about... Uh, he sold $3 million in stock and then left about a week ago. What yeah. is that? Tell me what that means. You talk about JB in the book. Yeah, so, I mean, I think... Um well, I think that J.B. Straubel was really important in building one of the key technological you know, assets that Tesla has, which is their drivetrain technology. Um, and he really you know, brought that from being something that, you know, AC propulsion has sort of created the original drivetrain that they were going to sort of use for the Roadster, but it was like literally handmade, hand-tuned, no documentation, no nothing. And so, <laughs> you know, J.B. Straubel basically and, and his folks, you know, sort of, you know, took those beginnings, but really, really made it into what is clearly industry-leading electric drivetrain technology. Um, and see, that's what like, gets me. This stuff is is innovative. This stuff is amazing. So, I, I think to understand this problem, you have to think about right about successful car companies. And you know, Toyota is pretty clearly the most successful car company of the last fifty years, and they went from being a, a loom company. They made looms for weaving. <laughs> they got into the car business, you know, um, really, you know, in the, in the, really mostly just since World War II. I mean, they started before then, but, um, and, and, you know, Toyotas have never been the sexiest cars. They've never been the fastest cars. They've never been the highest tech cars. In fact, on a lot of those things, they've been very conservative. And yet, They've become what the you know they're always in the top three in terms of sales and uh, in, in terms of sales volume, and and they're always profitable. Best car ever um, owned was a Lexus. Best car ever owned. And I think what that lesson shows is that you know we have as humans we have this really and and some of us more than others we there's an emotional connection to cars. Um, some have it more than others, and people have it. There's different variations of that emotional connection, and um, but but that's a really important part of cars, but. Also, I think what that can help us lose sight of, and that's why people like Tesla, is Tesla reflects their personality or the image that they think of themselves. It, maybe you're a computer programmer and that, like, that's the car that reminds you of like programming or, or the place that tech holds in the world now, right? It's, it's very symbolic. But at the yeah. end of the day... The, the, the people, Tesla screen has asteroids on it. My God, yeah. it's an arcade and a car. Yeah. So I think what Toyota shows is that... Is that you know these things that are important for, uh, you know, premium cars. Uh, that's a that's its own thing, and that what works in the mass market is just it just has to be well made, reliable, and affordable. It's a it's a it's a utility, right? You are buying the yeah. ability to get from point A to point B whenever you want, as simply and drama free as possible. Yeah, you know. 
Um, Boy, and, drama and, you know, is drama free is not the word you'd apply to Tesla manufacturing. <laughs> yeah, drama magnet. I think Elon <laughs> or called Elon. that one. Is is, yeah. is Elon's personality part of the problem? Yeah. Um, so again, I, I really didn't want this book to be about Elon Musk. I wanted it to be about Tesla, but I think you can't separate the two. And I think that you know that that moment in two thousand and he, he even said. You, you quote an anecdote where Elon said, we're not building Toyotas. Yep. Yep. Um, and and he, in 2006, when he put himself at the center of this, because the media coverage had not been making him out to be the genius behind all this, you know, we've seen that trend continue. And Tesla has become more and more and more about Elon Musk ever since. And, yes. and I think p- part of that dynamic has been that nobody... Right? You've, we've seen how they treat critics outside the company. I've certainly seen it. Uh, many others have as well. But that same dynamic exists inside the company. If Elon says something, um, that's what's going to happen. And there is nobody who can put a check on him. And I think J.B. Straubel was maybe one of the people who could have. And, and so one of the – this is manifest in a lot of ways. Right, this, is, this kind of dynamic is how you get to a point where you know, the funding secured thing happened, where you just said this stuff. That wasn't true. A tweet and, that cost him twenty nobody, million dollars. The lawyers couldn't stop him because he didn't. He doesn't listen to lawyers. He right. doesn't hire lawyers who don't say, you know, yeah, Elon, go for it. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think I think that that making the and and again, I think you know it also ties into the mass market ambitions. He wanted that not because the mass market is where you make a lot of money. It was this grand messianic vision, which ultimately. You know, he wanted to be at the center of. And I think, you know, people say, what is Tesla about? Is he a fraudster? Is he this or that? I think a lot of what Tesla is about is about him feeling good about himself and about feeling good about how people see him. And I think there's a lot of points where you can look at decisions that have been made about that company that have been very momentous and not that, and they were maybe the right choice for Elon, but oh, they weren't necessarily the right choice for Tesla. It must be a this, it must be a, a moment in hi, our history where these kinds of people rise up, because that sounds very much like the guy in the White House. Um, is JB leaving a bit uh, a bad sign? Yeah, so it's it's part of a yeah yeah. I mean, clearly someone who who is that um, brilliant and who has made those kinds of contributions to uh, to their core drivetrain technology. Clearly, like that's that's not ideal. I think the most worrying part of it is that it's yet another. Uh, relationship that has not gone the distance at Tesla. And the car business is a relationship business. It's it's like the, I call it the ultimate team sport because no one person, and this is why you don't see people like Elon Musk in the car industry. And this is why he's so he's so dynamic and so yeah. exciting to people. It's like, whoa, there's a guy in the car business yeah. who makes cars, but he's also larger than life and exciting. And it's because it's team. it's a team sport, right? You have to work together. And a big part of that is relationships with companies you know, that are your suppliers, right? And we've seen basically every supplier, almost every supplier that Tesla has worked with in a serious way, certainly Mobileye, which helped them get autopilot off the ground at a certain point, that Boom. relationship blew up. We don't need them right? anymore. Yeah. And now, and now what we're seeing now, what's really scary now is that sort of, I'm not saying that his relationship with J.B. Straubel blew up, but J.B. Straubel's leaving. That's another guy who's not at Tesla anymore. Um, and then uh, Panasonic. Uh, uh, they make J. the J. batteries. Straubel, they make the batteries, and and it's most Tesla's 
longest lasting, I think, supplier relationship, one of them certainly, and clearly the most important one. And J.B. Straubel was the point man. Oh boy! And so we've seen signs that that relationship is not going well already leading up to J.B. Straubel's departure. Um, it's very hard to be optimistic about that relationship now, but it's also like, what does Tesla do without their battery supplier? Well, they're building, they built, you're actually in Nevada right now. They, they built the Gigafactory. Isn't that going to fix the problem? Uh, so the Gigafactory, Tesla built the building. There are parts inside of it. So Panasonic basically rents. It's, it's really space. a Panasonic factory. The, the cells <laughs> that make up the battery. So there's, there's battery cells, right? And then there's battery packs. Tesla yeah. assembles the cells into packs there. But the but weirdest yeah, thing ever. And I saw, cells. I was at the Tesla factory when I picked up my Model 10, Model X. They're using the same, what are they, the 8650 cells that you see in laptops that you see everywhere. 18650, yeah. 18650. They yeah. just put a lot of them, to, <laughs> a lot yeah. of them together. And those yep. are Panasonic parts. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the reason they, they um, did that is because they thought that battery technology was going to change all the time. Yeah. And, and that these cells were the first sort of format that uh, new chemistries come out in. And they're also high volume, and so they'd be cheaper, and you'd get the new chemistry sooner. And ironically, we actually haven't, since since Tesla no. was founded, there haven't been major breakthroughs in, in lithium-ion battery chemistry. Yeah, and that's not Tesla's fault. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. But but just to, for contrast, the other automakers use like flat cylindrical, or I'm sorry, not cylindrical, prismatic and like flat pouch cells uh, because they think it's easier to package. They pack better. Uh, Something around cylinder is not an efficient to pack it. And it's very complicated to make. And yeah. there have been all kinds of challenges with the manufacturing aspects of that. Yeah. I really want Tesla not only to survive, but to win. Oh. Um, but you're, you're right. When I think of, for instance, Ford and, and uh, their former CEO, Alan Mulally, a, a complete opposite of Elon Musk. A guy who works well with people, who's smart but quiet, who doesn't get a lot of headlines. Um, is 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 does Tesla have a shot? That's a that's a complicated question to answer. Um, I look, they have the everything they need to have um, a extremely durable, small volume premium premium. There's carpet. a path forward, but it's not the path they're taking. Exactly. So they need to stop with this, you know, and, and I think the, the, the scary part, right, is that, you know, and we haven't really talked about the stock, but like a lot of what they've been doing is is also making decisions that are good for their stock, but not necessarily good for the company. And this sort of emphasis on hyper growth, um, that's a story that the investors buy. And so the stock goes up. And of course, that's good for Elon, too, because he owns a lot of the stock. Um, but sort of constantly growing at breakneck speed is also just not a good way to run a car business. And, um, and, and especially one that sort of has the culture that, that Tesla has now. And, and after 15 years, you know, your culture is what it is. It's not going to turn around uh, overnight. But, but the question is, you know, can Tesla sort of walk away from this story that they're going to just keep growing until they sell, what, like every car in the world? I don't know. I mean, it, it they may be trapped. They may be trapped yeah. by market expectations. Yeah, that's the, that's the scary thing because, um, you know, the, the, at the core, they've got great technology um, and they've got great design. They've got a lot of things that will make a, a, the first sort of, you know, premium, new premium car brand of the 21st century. I mean, they deserve to be that. They've, they've, they have that. Um, it's just the hubris that, that doesn't let them be happy with that and doesn't let them see that they've had this profound impact on cars 
and the market and the industry without having to sell millions of cars. They had a very bad uh, quarter. Um, they're losing a lot of money, but they're sitting on a decent amount of cash. They're not not going to run out of money tomorrow. They've got the Model Y coming uh, next year. They're working on a truck. You think they should put that stuff on the back burner and just try to make a better Model 3? Um, it's a, it's a, yeah, I mean this, so they have, they have the, um, the Roadster and the Semi and like a pickup truck and a Model Y that I think are all basically supposed to come out next year. I think the Semi has been pushed back or whatever, but yeah, it's, it, there's, there's too much going on there. You have to focus on something. I think making a Model Y makes sense because it uses the Model 3 parts, you know, basically it's a it's very high parts commonality, which the Model X did not have, which is why the Model X was a disaster. Um, uh, one of the reasons it was a it was a disaster. So um, I think the Roadster makes sense for them because that gets them back into that this really is the, high price, the high end. Edge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Pushing the technology forward—that's not something that mass market car makers do. You have to do it in small volumes in order to really, really push. It's kind of their R eight. That's what they're good at. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it, but it's even a a, a higher um, thing. So honestly, though, I. I <laughs> I think the, the really scary thing for Tesla, and we haven't had a lot of time to talk about this, um, is the autonomous vehicle, uh, the, the full self-driving thing. I think that they are uh, – and by the way, I have a, a podcast that's one of the bigger uh, autonomous vehicle podcasts. I talk to people in sector all the time. I'm not just a, a metal-bending guy. Um, and I think that they are selling something that they can't deliver. And I think that it is already proving to be corrosive to Elon Musk's credibility, which is frankly Tesla's most important asset. And I think that uh, that ultimately is, you know, a lot of Tesla set itself up to be a, a confidence game, you know, and I know that has associations with it. I'm not saying it's, you know, they've always been fraudulent or whatever. I think people make some wild accusations about them, but they've certainly depended, certainly their stock price has depended on trust that like this guy can land a rocket on a barge. He can do whatever he says he's going to do. And uh, the history shows that's not necessarily the case, but also just everything about autonomous drive technology and, and what we know about how it's being developed um, indicates that this their entire strategy doesn't make sense and that the, the technically they don't have the the sensors and the redundancy a whole bunch of other things to, to actually make that and so I think what the biggest challenge to Tesla right now is, is how do they, they painted themselves in this corner uh, you know okay maybe they deliver on it I, I'm not saying there's no chance that they deliver on it um, but I think that's going to make or break that company. I feel like it was the same thing as the uh, biological defense filter. It was over. It was a poorly named, you know, you know. It was basically it's basically adaptive cruise control and lane changing. Well, but, so that's autopilot. Yeah, and they yeah. called it autopilot. Uh, yeah. Which was probably poor choice. Consumer Reports yeah. says don't call it autopilot. Uh, but Elon's really gotten in trouble by basically insinuating, well, we'll have level five autonomy next year. And soon Tesla owners will be able to rent out their cars and make money on their cars because it'll just drive people around. And He's not insinuating it. He's saying it. It's a fairy tale. And, taking, and taking people's money. It is. It yeah. is a fairy tale. And, and, and I think that... It shows, right, that like he has this relationship with his fans where they just want to believe that he's magical. We do. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, they're they're gonna have to figure out how that works. Like, you know, I believe he's magical, but I never took my hands off the wheel. <laughs> yeah. And I disengaged all the time. Yeah. Uh, I never treated it like, oh, I could take a nap. 
and it's irresponsible yeah. to imply that you could. Yeah, and, and I think there's even technical aspects to it, right? So it doesn't have a driver monitoring system. Like Cadillac Super Cruise, there hasn't been a single crash, let alone a fatality. Because yeah, it's watching you. It's looking it's at you. It's watching you. And if you're not paying attention to the road, it doesn't let you if use your system. I, try, I, I, just, I tested it because I covered my eyes. I had to peek yep. because I thought this is crazy. And the yep. seat starts going like this. Yep. And like, <laughs> I mean, this is the, how it should be. Yep. And Elon just said, you know, we, there were engineers who told the Wall Street Journal, you know, well, it was because of cost. Right. Uh, they didn't want to add more cost. And, yeah. and of course, Elon Musk said, you know, no, no, no. It's because the technology doesn't we really work. I'm like, it. wait a second. Like, you're this, you know, you can land rockets on ships, but you yeah. can't make eye tracking, you know, camera software work. Like, there's it, a it fine balance because you do have to sell the vision, right? There is this, there, you do have to be a salesman. But I think you put the, the finger on it is he was selling the vision. And, and what Autopilot always was, was sort of like, you know, so in 2013, Google had an offer to buy them. And uh, it wasn't until after that where they, they, they canceled the deal because they sold, you know, paid off the government loan. Their stock went crazy. And they said, we don't need you, Google, anymore. But like right after that, that's when Elon started talking about Autopilot. Yeah. And if you look back at what he, what he said, it was about, you know, well, we can do about 90% of what Google's going to do uh, with stuff that we can just put on the car now yeah. and that you can afford, whereas Google's saying it's going to be you know, right. really expensive cars and you're just going to have to share them. Um, and so he is, he has sold the appearance of autonomous drive, the uh, a simula a simulacrum of, of autonomy. And he's walked this line between, you know, at first it was like, self-driving cars are here. When that, when that first launched, I, there were all these headlines about oh, sure. about self-driving cars are here. And then when people started to die, then it was like, oh, no, 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 it's actually just a driver assistance system. And the, and the, the story's constantly changing. But you'll notice that once, once they had to start saying, oh, no, 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 it's just a driver assist system, that's when they said, okay, in, in 2016, you know, starting now, every car has a hardware for full self-driving. And yeah. if you pay us- $5,000 for something and, that and doesn't that's what exist. Makes their, that's what makes their business, to the extent that their business works- it's that that profit right. from uh, you know these from software basically yeah. that they still haven't even delivered. Three years I had a Model X and never once used Summit. I didn't dare. I didn't want it. I didn't know what's going to happen. I mean, yeah, I, you press I've a button, your car comes out of your garage and pulls up and says, "Get in." Yeah. I'm not going to use. I didn't even use the auto park, and that's a well understood technology in in many vehicles. But I didn't even use. Yeah, that. but it also doesn't work well in Tesla. I mean, Tesla <laughs> doesn't even have Tesla doesn't even have like good blind spot monitor. the sensors are terrible mike the falcon wing kept hitting my wife yeah we actually got I mean, to the point where we said i had she said look you may not close the doors until you say is everybody inside or your hands and feet inside the vehicle i am now closing the doors okay yeah twice it hit better, her in the head <laughs> better blind spot monitoring which i think is a fantastic uh uh, uh you know driver assistance system you get a better one in a in a fifteen thousand dollar you know absolutely Toyota corolla I get the top-down camera. I can see what's all around me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so, by the way, yeah. the podcast, Ed's podcast, is called Otonocast. It's at otonocast.com. Otonocast, yep. Yep, and uh, I think this is a fascinating subject, but we, we are farther off than we than anybody admits, don't you think? Yeah, and that's the really interesting thing is, is that, well, so, so now most autonomous uh, drive development companies are – are admitting that that it's farther off, and they're dialing back their their, you know, uh, deadlines or, or their target dates for deployment, and they're they're talking down, you know, all this sort of hypey rhetoric. Yeah. And the one exception to that is Elon Musk, of course, and Tesla, and yeah. they are keeping their foot on that hype 
button, you know, or whatever, the hype pedal. Um, and I think that I, I just don't see how they can keep doing it. I, I don't. I mean, again, it's maybe dangerous. maybe it, maybe he, you know, maybe there is some fundamental breakthrough that nobody else in the sector, because it's not just me. I'm I'm my opinions on autonomous drive technology don't, obviously don't come from personal experience. They come from talking to people right. who are working in this space. And of course, every Tesla fan says, oh, well, they're a competitor. So, of course, they're going to say he sucks. And like there's not a situation where 85, 90 percent of people in one business all are like, no, that guy is crazy like that but that's the, not just random talking talking you know, about your about your but at the same time i think elon justifies it in his mind is it you gotta think big you gotta put this is how this is the silicon valley way and i think this is what you talk about throughout the book and what really the thesis is there's cars and then there's silicon valley and the silicon valley way which is to, to talk big well yeah we're gonna have that next year but that's not a vehicle that's transporting people at 60 miles an hour down a freeway. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect. Yep. And um, I, I understand that. Uh, as a, Yeah, and like a Ferrari, if you buy a Ferrari, you know, and, and it breaks or whatever, it's it's okay. It's, it goes with the territory. You're buying something you know that's what on you're the getting. cutting edge. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're, if you're replacing your Honda Accord with a Model 3, yeah. Then that's when you get the problem. So you you've heard bad things about the Chevy Bolt. I'm curious now. I'm worried. No, we've only no, had it a couple heard, of months. I haven't heard bad things. I no, love I, it. Yeah, I'm a Tesla owner who loves. But I tell you what, I don't want to ever buy another elect another gas vehicle. I think I love electric cars. We put solar panels, Solar City. Thank you, Elon, on the roof. Uh, I I came real close to buying the big battery pack, but I haven't done that yet. Uh, but I like the idea that I'm plugging the car into electricity I've generated. Yep. I yeah, no, I, that that I awesome. hear a lot. Um, yeah. It, 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 generally speaking, people uh, who uh, who have have owned Teslas very rarely say like, "Oh, I really like this other electric car." Um, oh, I see what you're saying. I think, like you say, you know, people get their uh, identity wrapped up in Tesla right. and Elon Musk and and this mystique, and it becomes very hard to say, you know, well, actually, I really just want a car that gets me from point A to point B, and if it's not the sexiest, most cutting edge thing ever, then you know that's kind of not the end of the world to me. Uh, that's a tough transition to make. So uh, <laughs> I admire your ability to to be pragmatic about cars because there are, like I said, there's that emotional component and that image component, and then there's just the reality of right. of you know this is a tool. That needs that I use in certain ways. I'm not saying I'm not getting in line to buy a Porsche Taycan. I'm not saying that. <laughs> that's a that's an attractive car. That's yeah. what's changing, though, isn't it? I mean, that the, Elon owned this market for years. I when I bought my Tesla three years ago, I was just me. I, we Tesla owners would wave at each other because we were rare. I see Model Threes everywhere in Northern California, everywhere, all the time. There's three in our parking lot right now. So yep. that's changing. I'm seeing more and more electric vehicles from uh, uh, traditional manufacturers. In a couple of years, Tesla's not going to be anything special. Yeah, that's the that's the the one of the risks, right? Um, if they don't if they don't blow themselves up with this full self driving thing or something like that, um, that the risk is yeah, competition is coming. Uh, Tesla fans like to say, you know, oh well, you know, the Jaguar I Pace, the Audi e-tron, you know, they don't have as long a range. They basically they look at the things that Tesla does best and they say, well, we haven't beaten them at the things they do best. Right. The reality is that that's not how competition works. The the opportunity that the competitors have are the people maybe like you who loved everything about the design and the engineering of the Tesla but did not like 
the quality problems and did not like the service issues yep. and the you know the, the time it took to get I was just prepared. worried I didn't have any problems I was just worried Klaus Selmer yep. the CEO of Porsche says that almost all the pre-orders for the Porsche Taycan electric vehicle are from Tesla owners oh absolutely and and it's even you know I think anybody who can put out a car that's 80 percent as good as as a Tesla in terms of like speed and and performance and range and all that kind of stuff uh, if it's if it's only 80 percent as good on, on all those things but it's got the reliability of of it's a mainstream from a, from a metal car, bender yeah at the end of the day, that's what people are going to gravitate towards. Yeah. Plus, you know, the Porsche badge kind of does have a certain cachet. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah, it goes back a ways. <laughs> uh, great book. Really interesting topic. And, uh, yeah, it's you had a lot of sources. You to point out at the beginning, nobody would let me use their name no. <laughs> because everybody's terrified of Elon's retribution. Uh, but I think this is the honestly bal most balanced book I've read. Uh, we had Ashley Vance on when his book on the Tesla came out, which is also another great read. But this is much more up to date and fascinating, ludicrous, the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors. And we just scratched the surface. There's lots to talk about in this. Uh, if you want more of uh, Ed's insight, don't forget the Autonacast, which is his uh, autonomous vehicle podcast at autonacast.com. I'm really? also senior editor at thedrive.com. At thedrive.com. Don't forget. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry I didn't mention that <laughs> No, earlier. it's fine. Thank you. Really a pleasure having you on, Ed, and a great subject. Thank you. And I'll, I'll keep you posted on my experiences with other EVEC vehicles. Because, you know, honestly, I probably will never again buy a Tesla. Maybe the Model yeah. Y, but probably not. I just you, – you make the perfect point, which is this is not a, a toy. This is how I get to work. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, and I, it has to be reliable. I have to be able to get it repaired. Uh, I have to know that the motor isn't their best effort, <laughs> that it actually works. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, it's so it makes me so glad to to hear that people um, you know want to hear both sides of this because yes. if you're on Twitter, you don't always get that feedback. Oh, or uh, or Reddit is worse. You know. I oh mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I follow all the electric vehicle and the Tesla uh, subreddits. And yeah. it's really interesting to watch the flame wars. And, you know, you know uh, people come down on one side or the other. I think you've done a great job of, of balancing it and trying to get to the bottom of it, as, as befits a good auto journalist. Thank you, Ed. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Ludicrous. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. You can get it now on Amazon.com. We do triangulation. We try to do it every Friday around 11.30 a.m. Pacific. That's uh, 2.30 a.m. East Coast time, that's 1730 UTC. If you wanted to watch it live, you just tune in. Go to twit.tv slash live. You could watch or listen as we make the show. But for the most part, it's a podcast. People uh, consume it on demand. And uh, you can absolutely do that. Just go to our website, TWIT, twit.tv. In this case, twit.tv slash TRI. It's on YouTube. You can, and actually, the best thing to do is get your favorite podcast applications and subscribe and that way you'll get it because every week it's something different something interesting some of them i think the biggest brains in technology the most interesting stories uh so i hope you will come back each and every week for another triangulation thanks we'll see you next time <laughs>